He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Look what he goes on and says. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. As we're about to see, when God's Word predicts a future event, it's going to happen. Hi, and welcome to Life Talk. I'm Jeff Wickwire, and thanks for joining us this time. Today we're continuing a new series I'm calling Acts, When God Gets Loose. As I've often said, one of the great proofs that the Bible is the Word of God is the fulfilled prophecies found in its pages. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is one of those amazing prophecies. And the Apostle Peter knew this full well when he stood to his feet following the Spirit's outpouring and said, This is that, spoken by the prophet Joel. In today's message, we're going to explore what Peter meant and how beautifully prophetic predictions made centuries before that great day all came to pass. So let's go right to the message, This is That. I want you to read this with me because this is a very controversial verse. But let's read it. Are you ready? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So I'm going where the angels fear to tread right off the bat here. I am. Thank you. Now, let's just look at the Scriptures because that's really all that I have to say is what the Scriptures say. The word for filled here, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, is from the Greek word plato, not Plato or Plato, but Plato, meaning to fill to the limit, to fill to the maximum. It's the idea of you got a cup and it's not half full, it's not quarter full, it's not three quarters full. It's filled to overflowing. It's filled to the brim. That cup can't hold another drop. That's the word filled. God doesn't want us kind of touched by the Holy Spirit. He wants us filled with the Holy Spirit where we can't handle anymore and then um, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, the same Greek word, just to let you know the power of this word, Plato, is used to describe the disciples' boats being filled with fish after Jesus' command to cast on the right side and they brought in such a harvest of fish, such a catch of fish, there was no more room in the boats. They had to call for their partners in other boats to come and help them because their boats couldn't handle one more fish. Same word, filled. Or in Jesus' parable of the wedding feast when it says it was filled to the capacity with people, same word, filled. It's when you can't fit another thing in a vessel, and that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now it says that then they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, 
we have amongst us uh, every denomination known to man. I did it on a Sunday morning. I named every denomination I could think of, and a number of people raised their hands with every one of them. But most were Baptist and Catholic. I don't know why. I'm glad the Catholics are here. Now, I was saved by the preaching of a Baptist preacher. I owe my salvation to a Baptist preacher. But see, if you take this verse into a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church or a Lutheran church and ask them to speak on it, you're going to get different messages. You're going to get different interpretations. So let me just share with you what I believe it clearly teaches. Uh, because there's hardly a more divisive issue than this one amongst some. I believe the Bible is clear that there are two kinds of tongues, and I'm going to show you why. Earthly dialects as manifested on the day of Pentecost and a private prayer language. Now, I'm not going to spend the whole night on this, but I am going to show you what I believe it teaches. Now, the word here for tongue is glossa, glossa. We get the word glossolalia. Uh, from this one. And it simply means a tongue. Now it says that they spoke in plural tongues, does it not? They began to speak with other tongues, plural, glossa. Now let's take Pentecost first. At Pentecost, God supernaturally anointed the 120 with the ability to speak in an earthly dialect that they had never learned. It's like if I started talking to you in Russian right now, that would indeed be a complete miracle. You should all hit the ground and start praising God if I started speaking in Russian. Because I don't know a word in Russian. And yet, let's just say the Spirit fell, and there were a bunch of Russian people in the audience, and the Spirit fell on me, and I began to speak in Russian, having never learned it, and I was speaking the marvelous works of God and the work of the cross. That's the kind of tongue that happened at Pentecost. The 120 who were primarily blue-collar workers, you know, the working class, the -the run-of-the-mill, average, guy-next-door types, were suddenly anointed with the supernatural ability to speak in an earthly dialect that they had never learned. And it was multiple dialects because on the day of Pentecost, there were multiple ethnicities and multiple languages represented there. And so this 120... Suddenly, after the tongues of fire appeared over their head and there was the sound of the rushing mighty wind, they let loose with the gospel in languages they'd never been taught. So much so that here's what the people surrounding them said. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Now that's the first kind of tongues when it's an earthly dialect. It's an earthly language. But then in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, Paul speaks of another kind of tongue clearly, irrefutably, in 1 Corinthians 14, 2. Here it is. For he who speaks in a glossa tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Now, I want you to notice with me. No one understands him. Well, if no one understands him, it can't be an earthly dialect. Because he says, does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. Well, that can't be the Pentecostal tongue, because the Pentecostal tongue, manifestation of tongues, they all heard, 
in a language they could decipher and understand. Now, I believe it is this kind of tongue that Paul is talking about when he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you, 1 Corinthians 14, 18. Now, I scoured the book of Acts, and I can tell you I can't find a place in the entire book of Acts where Paul the apostle was used in the way the 120 were, where it says he spoke in a tongue he had not learned, and others understood him in a tongue he did not know but he was speaking by the Spirit. It's not anywhere in the book of Acts. So when he says, I thank God, I speak in tongues more than all of you, he can't be talking about the earthly dialect. It's not there. Now, let me tell you what I believe the difference is. The earthly dialect kind of tongue, according to the story of Pentecost, was a sign to unbelievers. They said, we hear them speaking in a language they've never known, the wonderful works of God. It was a sign to them. Because don't forget, Peter's about to stand up to preach, and he's going to scalp them with the message he preaches, and a bunch of them are about to get saved. So this was a preceding sign, okay? But the private devotional kind of tongue is for personal edification. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14, 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Well, wait a minute. The purpose of the Pentecost tongue was so that others would understand you as you preached the gospel in a language you had never known, and they could be saved. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about a tongue intended to be understood by men. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Well, was that the purpose of the Pentecost tongue? No, it wasn't to edify themselves. It was to reach all those people. So, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So clearly we have. Now, I could spend all night. I could go through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 on this. I've had a prayer language since I was 18. Now, you notice it is not a front burner issue with our church. I don't get up and preach it. I don't tell you you don't have the Holy Spirit if you don't have tongues because I don't believe that. I'm sort of a tweener. I'm kind of in between the Baptists and our blessed AG brethren. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble on the radio here. But the assemblies of God will tell you, you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you're speaking in tongues. You know what? I can sit down and fellowship with them and love them because with the basics, we're in line together. We're unified. The blood, the cross, heaven, hell, Christ, the only way. I can fellowship with them. But I can also sit down with a Baptist or a Methodist who thinks tongues is of the devil. Because my fellowship isn't based on tongues. It's based on the blood and Christ, our Savior. That's where my fellowship is. But I can tell you that when I was sitting in my apartment when I was 18 years old, learning three guitar chords, C, G, and F, so I could sing God is so good and Kumbaya, way back in the early 70s, I got a prayer language before anybody told me it was wrong. And I pray in my prayer language often. And when I do, it edifies me. But never will you hear it as a front burner issue in our church. But I cannot get away from the clear fact that there's two different kinds he's talking about. So, Pastor Jeff, do I have to speak in tongues? No, you do not. You get to if you want to pray for it. 
Do I think you're less spirit-filled than me? No, not at all. Listen how silly that is. Billy Graham doesn't have a prayer language. You're going to tell him he's not spirit-filled? I mean, I can go back through history and name some of the greats of the faith who didn't have a prayer language. Were they less spirit-filled than someone who does? No. No. So the reason I'm not spending much time on it is because I don't need to spend much time on it. But I did want you to see the difference. So let's move on from tongues. Everybody give me a tongue and say amen. Amen. All right. Now, when this spiritual explosion took place, and they all heard the wonderful works of God proclaimed in their native language, the attention of the huge Pentecost crowd was immediately fastened on the disciples and this 120. I mean, the whole Pentecost festival Everybody forgot about that, and they're all looking now at what is taking place in front of them, this spiritual nuclear bomb that was dropped when the Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, and the church was born. And Peter, the one who had denied Christ, and this blesses me, the one who had denied Christ, who had said three times, I never knew him, who felt so horrible about his denial, went, tried to go back to his old life and go fishing, Of course, he didn't catch anything because you never catch anything when you go back to your old life. Don't try it. You'll find you catch nothing. But Peter is the one the Holy Spirit fell upon and said, stand up. It's time for you to preach. We see here the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. After assuring them that they weren't drunk, because some were saying, look at them, they're drunk. He said, no, we're not drinking wine this time of day. And then he started preaching. Now, I marvel at what came out of this fisherman. You talk about being the Holy Ghost. He immediately starts preaching Scripture like he's the one that wrote it. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, every eye is fastened on him. Look what he goes on and says. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he was just getting warmed up. He perfectly quoted the prophet Joel. Now I want you to notice a couple of things that Peter says here. He says that this outpouring is a prophetic fulfillment. And we all know Joel's prophecy. Um, But he said this is prophetic fulfillment happening right in front of your eyes. And then notice that he said that Joel said it would happen in the last days. And Peter said this is that. So what Peter is doing, and I want you to catch this, is he's saying the last days have begun. Now we have a tendency to say, The last days began with us because most people are very narrow in their scope. They think a lot of things happen just in their lifetime. But Peter takes us all the way back and says, no, here's when the last days began. In the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. After that, the hourglass was turned upside down of the last days. And the last days began then. So then where are we, Jeff? We're in the last of the last days. But the last days have been one long last days, 21 centuries so far. And I don't think Peter would ever have imagined that or envisioned that. 
But he said, this is that, this is that. When Joel said it's the last days, this is that. Now, this prophetic fulfillment of Joel's would be accompanied by an outpouring of the Word of God and a flood of fresh revelation. Your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Your young men are going to see visions. Your old men are going to dream dreams. If you're having visions, you're young. If you're dreaming dreams, you're old. It would also be accompanied by a flood of salvation. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, Peter's sermon next went straight to the quick when he accused many of the listeners of being directly responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. Boy, I mean, he was bold. The guy that denied Jesus in front of a little girl at a campfire now lets it go when he's full of the Holy Ghost. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, you saw what he did. You heard him. You saw the miracles yourself. This man, listen to what he says now, folks. This is theologically profound. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You. He's pointing his finger now. You. You killed him. Now here, follow me, we have one of the great paradoxes of Scripture. Something that's very hard to understand. God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility. Notice Peter said, Jesus was handed over to them. By who, everybody? By God. And God's what? Deliberate plan. Didn't Paul tell us in Ephesians, Jesus was chosen to be our lamb slain before the foundation of the world, before time began? This deliberate plan was hatched in heaven before time began. Began, which means before anything material was created. Because there is no time unless something is rotting or eroding. Okay? Now, according to Peter, even though it was God's deliberate plan, those who handed him over are still personally responsible for killing him. So you have sovereignty versus personal responsibility. Now, I know what you're thinking, and you're right to think it because this is a mind-bender. This is one of those theological principles that's a mind-bender. It'll turn your brain into a pretzel. How can it be that God determined it and God handed him over, but they are still responsible? If it was God's determined plan, who can resist God? And yet they're still responsible. God's sovereign foreknowledge, listen carefully, does not absolve man of personal responsibility. You say, Jeff, how does that make sense? It doesn't have to. Just accept it. This is one of those things you cannot because it's a paradox. God's sovereign knowledge, foreknowledge, he knew ahead of time, does not absolve man of his personal responsibility. Peter said, you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death And if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell for it. But wait a minute, Peter. It was God's determined plan. Who can resist God? You're still personally responsible. 
Here is the mystery of God's providence, everybody. While Jesus' death on the cross was part of God's eternal plan, it did not in the least excuse, let me name some, the sin of Judas in betraying him or of Pilate in condemning him or of the Jews in crucifying him, nor did it at all infringe on the liberty of their wills in acting voluntarily. I know it doesn't make sense. I know. Not to me either. Logic cannot take you here. This is one of those things where you've got to accept what the Bible tells you. Let me give you another example. Joseph's brothers, wickedly, evil, with evil intent, sold their little bro into Egypt, into slavery. Yet the psalmist comes along and says, God sent Joseph to Egypt. Well, wait a minute. They did. No, God did. No, no, no. I read it. They did. They hatched the plan. They took the money. They sold him. Yeah, but God was working his plan through their evil. What that means is that you can't escape the determined purpose of God, yet we're still responsible for our own actions. If you're not responsible for your own actions, how in the world can he send anybody to hell? And yet, his plan is going to be worked out. See, when you got saved, God didn't sit up in heaven and say, Oh, my Lord, I cannot believe he came in. (laughs) God already foreknew you coming in. Here's another heavy. He saw you coming to Christ before time began. That's just what the Bible teaches. So when you wade into the theology of providence and sovereignty and foreknowledge, you wade into heavy, intellectual, mind-bending, challenging issues to understand. No wonder Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways beyond tracing out. Well, you know, I love the Word of God for many reasons. It's true, it's comforting, it's strengthening, it's faith-building, but it's also confirming of the great God we serve, who is able to predict the end of something before its beginning even begins. And so it is with the prophet Joel's forecast of the coming great outpouring of God's Spirit. And let me encourage you today to take advantage of the many resources available on the Life Talk website. Just go to lifetalkradio.us. That's lifetalkradio.us. There you'll discover a large archive of former Life Talk messages that are still changing lives today. And you can also learn how to help us financially take God's Word to America via the Life Talk radio broadcast, which now reaches into every state in the Union with the truth of God's Word and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So until next time, I pray God's rich blessings be yours. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff, and if you appreciate the straightforward Bible teaching you hear on Life Talk Radio, 
you can help us continue to be a voice of truth on this station. Call toll-free at 877-884-3111 or go online to lifetalkradio.us any time, day or night and make a donation to Empower Life Talk to continue transforming lives with the power of the gospel. Call 877-884-3111 or go online to lifetalkradio.us and give your best gift today. This is That is the second message of Pastor Jeff's series, Acts, When God Gets Loose. You can own a copy of this 19 CD set for just $95 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 or purchase the entire series, Acts, When God Gets Loose, for only $95 plus shipping by logging on to lifetalkradio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information. been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wigwire. To find out more about Dr. Wigwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener supported ministry. We exist to bring God's word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast.